Our text is found in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. And so, as we do every Sunday, let us read our text together, and let's read it aloud, beginning with verse 26, Acts chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Shall we pray? Father, we ask for your wisdom, for your instruction through the power of your Holy Spirit. May you pour out your spirit upon us this morning, that we, Lord, might gain that understanding that we need to live our lives in such a way that will honor and bless you, that will stir our hearts to let others know about the good news of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to take in all that you would have us to know today so that you will be glorified and praised and it will be, Lord, as well to our good. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You all may be seated. There are three very important conversions that take place in this and the following two chapters of the book of Acts. The first is that of an Ethiopian proselyte. A proselyte was one who embraced the religion of the Jews, one who came from Gentile roots, and would embrace, of course, the God of the Jews, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the first conversion that we're looking at, and that's what we're studying today, is is that of an Ethiopian proselyte. The second, found in chapter 9, is that of a man named Saul of Tarsus. The third conversion, which we will see in chapter 10, is of the Roman centurion Cornelius. Each of these conversions, as we shall see, point out three factors that are to be evident in these and subsequent conversions. The work of the Holy Spirit is the first factor. Secondly, the Word of God. And thirdly, the man of God. So those three factors then are to be evident in these and in all conversions. The work of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and the man of God. 
The Spirit of God using the Word of God through a human instrument, the man of God, to produce a son or daughter of God. Now the leading of the Spirit of God is absolutely vital in evangelism. The leading of the Spirit of God is absolutely vital in evangelism, in the sharing of the gospel, in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Too much personal work is done in a, in a disorganized manner, in a, in a hit and miss sort of way. And much of that is because it is without prayer. It has been said that we should talk to the Lord about the individual before we talk to the individual about the Lord. I find that to be great counsel, wise counsel. That we should talk to the Lord about the individual before we talk to the individual about the Lord. That we pray, Lord God, give us someone to share the gospel with. And if you already know who that is, then Lord, prepare that heart. Prepare that heart to receive the truth of Jesus Christ. In the case of the Ethiopian eunuch, the Spirit of God had gone ahead of Philip and prepared the way. And of Philip, we are reminded of this. And it is important for us to know who Philip is and and what he is and, 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 and what he's all about. Because this also gives us an indication of where we are and what we are to do as believers in Jesus Christ. But if you remember when the church was just growing and and the Hellenistic Jews were not being taken care of properly, that the apostles began to seek out good men to to handle these particular issues. Acts chapter 6 verse 3 says, Therefore, brethren, as they're seeking these things out, they said, Seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And when you consider the man Philip, who we saw last week, be obedient to Christ to go up to the area of Samaria, begin a, a great work there, we need to realize that this man was a man of good reputation. He was one who was full of the Holy Spirit. He was one who had wisdom. One that was submissive to God. And the implication, of course, as we look at this, is that Philip was also a man of prayer. He could not be any of these things if he did not have not only a relationship to God and to Christ, but that he had fellowship with God and Christ in prayer. So it is an implication, but nonetheless the implication is that Philip was a man of prayer, and this is what the Lord knows about his servants whom he uses. He knows this about the servants that he uses. They will prayerfully follow the leading of the Holy Spirit whenever and wherever he sends them. And so with that in mind, we come to verse 26 of our text. And we're told now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then the last three words of that sentence, Luke inserts here. He says, this is desert. (laughs) You know, after such a, a wonderful work had taken place in Samaria, Philip was now being called out to Gaza. God sends an angel, an angel of the Lord, a messenger of the Lord, to speak to Philip. 
And he says to him, arise and go. Go toward the south. Go along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's desert. You have to wonder what Philip thought about leaving such a successful work to travel to a desert. God was doing great things in Samaria. Evidence of that was going back to to Jerusalem. It was already in Jerusalem that, that the Lord was moving among the Samaritans. But Philip had to wonder a little bit, Lord, the desert? Well, if anyone has a plan, the Lord does. The Lord always has a plan. And Philip was a submissive servant to God's plan. And if, every, if anyone has a plan about a place that is largely uninhabited, well, let me just tell you this, God does. <laughs> God has a plan. He has you here, doesn't he? Isn't El Paso pretty much a desert? I keep thinking about why we're here. A lot of you, you know, a lot of us, of course, were born here and raised here, still here. That's part of God's plan. Just want to let you know that. The other thing, though, is that many of you are here because God brought you here, whether it was through the military or some kind of job or whatever, but here you are in the desert. And you may have come from some of the most beautiful places in the country where there's trees and green and there's water and there's hills and just beautiful flowers and everything. And then you get sent here. And you must have asked, why, Lord? I appreciate the fact that I've talked to some people that have been sent to El Paso and somehow they've kind of found the beauty of the desert and they like it here now. I've talked to some people who said, you know, we lived in such a crowded city. Yeah, there was a lot to do, but it's a lot safer here in some ways. It's a lot lot slower, a lot easier. So there are some benefits and some, some things that we can say are good about the desert, but let's go into the desert here. This is what Philip was being called to. Not to a city like El Paso, but out there, you know, when you get out where there's nobody, there's no way to see or hear anybody. When the sun goes down, there are no lights but the stars, you know. That kind of desert. God has a plan about that. And one thing that we have to remember is that we think a certain way, don't we? We have a certain way of thinking. God, why? Why the desert? Well, we want to know. But it's, our, our way of thinking is usually just a totally different way than, than the Lord thinks. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God always has a plan. And if we'll listen to it, it's a good plan. If we'll listen to Him, it's a good plan. And we should note in our text that the Lord never tells Philip why He, has, he was sending him to the desert. He never tells him why. That's usually our first question to God, why? We just want to know, Lord, that's all. We just want to know. Give me a little information, why? But God never tells us sometimes. You ever thought about Abraham, when Abraham was sent out from Ur of the Chaldees to leave his family to go where God wanted him to go? God never told him where. At least Philip was told where he was going. Abraham didn't know why. In both cases, you know what it comes down to? 
faith and trust in the Lord. When God sends us, we're to trust Him. Where God leads us, we're to, we're to believe that He's led us there for a reason. God just says to him, arise and go. You know, sometimes we hear that, and, and, we, and we, but we get up, you know, our get up and go got up and went, you know. We don't uh, want to listen to what God is saying. But Philip listened. He listened and he followed. It's a matter of trusting the Lord. But why to the desert? You see, from our perspective, we could ask that question and say, Why the desert, Lord? I mean, it's foolish. There's nothing there. There's no one there. What is more foolish, or I should say, what is more foolish, I'm asking the question, what is more foolish than to leave a place where ministry was prospering to go to a desert road? From our perspective, that doesn't seem wise. It doesn't seem smart. But this was a road that was less traveled by. And God says, go there. Just go there. It was the road where true commitment to God and His plan would eventually spring forth rivers of living water. And all because of obedience. If you'll go, I'll show you what I'm going to do. G. Campbell Morgan once wrote this, and I, I, I really love this, this statement, this quote. He said, if Christ is hindered, it is because some Philip is not willing to go. If Christ is hindered, it is because some Philip is not willing to go. Aren't you glad that this Philip was willing to go? Because like his own Lord Jesus, Philip was willing to leave the throngs, willing to leave the crowds, willing to leave the multitudes, and, he, and that to deal with just one lost soul. And in verse 27, we see his obedience. So he arose and went. No questions, no asking, no wondering. He arose and he went, a servant of the Lord. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. And in that uh, very description of this, of this man in verses 27 and, and 28, we're going to realize something about this man, something that, uh, that, that is amazing in the sense of, of, of how prosperous, how rich, how, how, how high in stature he was. And he's going through the desert. And God tells Philip, to go near to this man and overtake his chariot. So on that desert road, Philip met up with this Ethiopian proselyte who was returning from Jerusalem. And, and, he, and he was reading the Word of God. He was reading a scroll of Isaiah. 
which tells us a couple of things. First of all, he was apparently hungry for the Word of God. I mean, what else should you be doing as you're traveling through the desert if not trying to keep yourself cool? And a lot of times, you know, when you're traveling in that way, and we know this from living out here in 110 degree weather and working out in the fields or working out in the yard or whatever it is, that we're, not, we're just a little bit too distracted going through that desert to be reading anything of any great value. We look for a place with the air conditioner so we can read good stuff. He's going through the desert. It's hot. And of course he's traveling through the day. They never travel at night because of the marauders and the thieves and all. And he's not traveling alone because he wouldn't be traveling alone being a, a, a person of great stature in, in the uh, government of Ethiopia. Which, by the way, was Nubia. It was a combination of what we know as Ethiopia and then Sudan to south of Egypt. So all of these, all of these factors are real important here. And here he is reading this scroll of Isaiah. You have to really want to be reading it out there in the hot desert heat. Hungry for the Word of God. Secondly, he had to be quite prosperous, as I've mentioned before, since the scroll would have cost him a large sum of money. So he would have had to really want it. He would have had to really want that scroll. You see, they didn't have bookstores like we have today, Bible bookstores, where you can go buy a Bible of any color, type, you know, size. You can get a little Bible this, you know, this little, or, or a Bible this big and come to church this way. You know, you, you, you didn't have that option. You didn't have that, uh, you know, luxury in those days. Think about this. The scrolls that were written were, were hand done, meticulous, every jot, every tittle in the right place. It had to be. This was God's Word. And normally they were given to synagogues and places of teaching. And usually only, you know, a few scrolls were, were, were taken care of by these, by these synagogues. So for a person to have his own scroll, means, it means that he had to pay a lot of money to get it. And then he had to really want to have it. And he's reading it. His position was one of great authority in his kingdom, which, much like the secretary of, of the treasury in any other country. In, in, in that particular sense, he was the secretary of the treasury for the Ethiopian queen of that time, whose name was really her title. You know, it says Candace here, and a lot of people may name their children Candace and, and whatnot. And, but, but in fact, it was a title for the queen of Ethiopia. But as, is, as in most cases of those working in the government and working for a nation of that time, he was a eunuch. Which means that he would have been purposely emasculated for the sake of trust. As a matter of fact, the Greek word for eunuch means bedkeeper. One in charge of the bedchamber. That, that was what it was originally meant to be. So, you realize then that uh, it, it took a, 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 a real commitment, <laughs> you know, to be a eunuch. But because of this, he couldn't become a full Jewish proselyte. And remember, he was a Jewish proselyte. But he couldn't be a full Jewish proselyte. De De Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1 tells us that. It says, 
He who is emasculated by crushing or mutilation shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. So he had that kind of going against him. The fact that he was a Gentile, he could only go as far as the court of the Gentiles. But some were allowed to offer sacrifices, he was not. So he would have been allowed to go only as far as that court of the Gentiles, which shows us how concerned he was about his spiritual life to travel over 200 miles to Jerusalem to worship God, and still, he was not satisfied. He, he takes scrolls, he buys scrolls so he can read. He wants to know more. He's not satisfied. We're just coming up to a certain level, to a certain point in his life. And how many people today are religious? They read the Bible, they, they seek the truth, and yet they do not have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. A lot of people like that today. They read the Bible, they go to church, they seek the truth, but they don't have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. They are sincere, but they are lost. And so they are sincerely lost. And how sad that is. To be so near the truth and not have a firm relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ. They need someone to show them the way. It's interesting that the Lord said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. (laughs) I think sometimes the picture is that, uh, you know, here's Philip going out into the desert, wondering what it is that God wants him to do. And finally God says, go near to that chariot. Overtake it. And in our minds, it's like, okay. And he starts to run. And, and he's running alongside of this thing, and he's overtaking it like a race, you know. The very fact is that that's not what the Lord was, was saying to him, because the command of the Spirit to Philip was literally to go and join yourself closely, join yourself, glue yourself to that chariot. <laughs> Glue yourself to it. And that, that probably was kind of a, maybe even a comical thing as it was, because if he was traveling in his caravan, and you know, of course, they were there to protect this guy, but here comes Philip running alongside him. Well, who is that guy? You know, what is he doing? And then he attaches himself to the chariot to have a conversation with a guy inside. Hey, how are you doing? What are you reading? Where are we going? <laughs> He glues himself. I mean, but, but, but let me just say this. This should be the attitude and action of more believers in Jesus Christ. To glue ourselves to needy people. To glue ourselves to them. They might not like it, but hey, they need to know the truth. You pray for an opportunity. You pray to have somebody come into your, you know, into your realm, as it were, so that you can tell them about Jesus Christ. You glue yourself to them. And if someone were to say that it's none of your business to concern yourselves with men's souls, well, we ought to remind them that it is our business. It's our business to share the gospel with others and to do it without uh, fear or apology. We're to have no fear or or even apologize for the sake of of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, let's face it, the world is just, you know, pretty bold at sticking their lies and immorality in the face of believers, right? Right? I just told you about this movie that's coming out in December called The Golden Compass. And they're going to try to stick that right in the face of everybody, even Christians. Soften it up a little bit so everybody comes and pays their money to go see it. 
Eventually they're going to let you know that it's, it's about their hatred of God. That's all around us anyway. So it's about time we get into, into the face of the world and tell them, Hey, Jesus is coming again. But Jesus loves you and He wants you right. He wants you saved. I love what it says in First Chronicles chapter 16, verses 26, I'm sorry, 23 through 26, where it says, Sing to the Lord all the earth. I want to tell you something. These are commands, not suggestions. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. This is a command for God's people to declare His good news. To declare His glory. To declare His wonders among all the peoples. Why? Because the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Again, this is not a suggestion. This is a command. And we ought to heed that as God's people. So as Philip drew near the chariot, he heard the eunuch reading from the prophet Isaiah. Significant as well for us to understand that in those days, any time the Word of God was read, it wasn't just read as we read the newspaper. It was read aloud. And therefore he was reading this aloud for Philip to be able to hear him. And here's the eunuch reading from the prophet Isaiah. What was the Lord doing? The Lord had already prepared the man's heart to receive Philip's witness. Do you see God's hand in everything that's going on here? Where does God send Philip to the desert? What's happening in the desert? Usually nothing except for this man in his chariot going through to get back home. And God takes him right up to this chariot. And tells him, attach yourself to that chariot and to that man. And so in verse 30 of our text, it says, So Philip ran to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And the man said to him, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Wow, he picks up hitchhikers. And Philip was a hitchhiker. But what an open door. Think about this. What an open door the Lord prepared for Philip. Go to that chariot. Overtake it. Glue yourself to it. Here's Isaiah. You understand what you're reading? What you're reading? How can I? Unless somebody tells me. Wow. Get up here and tell me. That's God's hand. God preparing every little detail. An open Bible and an open heart. What an opportunity. There, there, I mean, this was nothing, nothing less than a divine appointment arranged by the Lord Himself. And I've got to ask you a question. Are we praying for open doors? Are we praying for God to open doors like that? Lord, open a door. If somebody is reading or confused about anything, give me an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. How many open doors, how many opportunities do we have in a day? One of the greatest stories that I've ever heard, and, 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 and it just always blesses me. I, Pastor Chuck Smith from Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, uh, shared this many times about his own father. He saw his own father growing up. You know, he grew up in a Christian home. His dad loved the Lord. and He said every day his father, every day his father would pray, Lord, 
give me even just one person to share the gospel to. And he said every day his father had an opportunity to share the gospel with someone, to lead someone to Christ. Every day. Of course, he would want more if possible, but even if it was just one, he prayed, Lord, if it's just one, then let me have one person to tell about Jesus. And he never forgot that. And I tell you, I never forget that story. Because it, it, it encourages me as a believer in Jesus Christ to know that I can ask God for that open door every day. Because you see, we're Christians 365 days out of the year, except for leap year, which is 366. But we're a Christian 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day, to tell somebody about Jesus. Are we praying for open doors? And if so, are we staying alert to the opportunities that He presents us with? Because it's one thing to ask for the open door. It's another thing to have your eyes open to see the open door. To have the heart open to discern the open door. And then to step right through. Listen, Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 25 and 26, If we live in the Spirit, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. If we're staying in the Spirit, if we're living in the Spirit, we're going to live in that discernment. We're going to be listening to what the Lord is telling us. We're going to know that if we ask Him something, He's going to answer us. So if we ask for an open door, if we're walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, we're going to be able to see that open door. But what hinders that open door? Look at the second part of, of, of this passage here, verse 26. Let us not become conceited. Seated, it says, provoking one another, envying one another. I, when I think of these things, those three things point to self. It points to self in conceited, uh, in a conceited attitude, thinking of self above everybody else, provoking one another, looking down at people and, and saying things that ought not to be said, envying one another, looking at somebody else because you want what they have. Listen, all of those things hinder the work of the Spirit of God in our evangelism. I can assure you that people who live that way, conceited and provoking and envying, are not telling anyone about Jesus. We need to walk in the Spirit. We need to begin to walk in the Spirit in such a way that we're loving one another in Christ, that we're able to take the criticism that comes from the world and be able to stand, even if it's criticism from people that are supposed to love us. I cannot forget, uh, you know, when I came to the Lord back in the, in the early 70s, during the time that was called the, the, the Jesus Movement, and I, and I can tell you it was a true move of God. It was a true revival of God because people were getting it. They were getting what it meant to love one another. They were getting what it meant to, to, to share with one another everything that they had. But the important thing was there was never putting anyone down. There was never any self getting in the way. I don't know what's happened to us since. We need a revival like that again. That we start loving people and just doing things for the Lord and for them and not for ourselves. But you see, when, when, when you're walking in the Spirit and, and you're living for others and for the Lord and, and, and not just for yourself, you know what? You're going to see those opportunities because you care about the heart of people. You care about their souls. When you get back to the text here in verse 30, there where, where it tells us that, uh, that Philip asks this eunuch the question, do you understand what you're reading? You know, in verse 30, this, the, the Greek construction of that sentence suggests that Philip is speaking as if he knows pretty well that the Ethiopian does not have a clue to what he is reading. 
In some way, he's, 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 he's saying this with respect, actually with some fear because of this man's position. But, but he's saying to him, in, in essence, you probably don't understand what you're reading, do you? You probably don't understand. And so this prosperous, well-educated Ethiopian confessed his confusion. He confessed his perplexity. Hey, how can I unless someone guides me? <laughs> he opens his heart. He says, I don't understand. I am perplexed about this. So this man confesses his confusion. Now please understand this. He had no problem understanding the manuscript. In other words, he was reading the words. He understood the language. He had no problem understanding the manuscript, but he had plenty of trouble understanding the message. He needed a teacher, and the Lord gave him one. It brings to mind, you know, how many people today, you know, read the, read the Word of God, read, read the Scriptures, you know, they, I don't understand this. I don't understand this. You know, isn't it interesting, you know, if you have kids like, you know, four, five, six years of age and they come home and, you know, whatever's taught to them in Sunday school and, and whatnot, and they, they understand it, they get it. Their hearts or mind, minds are still pure to, to the point they can understand what God is saying to them. But we grow up and all of a sudden we read these words and we just don't understand it. We don't understand it. I'm thankful that somebody came alongside of me one day during that time where people were just sharing openly the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, I was resistant to it at, at times. Even mockingly. But because of one person pursuing and pursuing with love and kindness and gentleness, finally, I sat down. And he shared the love of Christ with me. And for the first time in my life, my eyes were open. And I saw what he was saying to me. And I looked and I saw the cross of Jesus Christ. And I saw that Jesus Christ had died in my place on that cross. Then I looked again and I saw the blood of Jesus Christ shed for my forgiveness. And then I looked again and Jesus was no longer on the cross. For he was in the grave for three days, but on the third day he rose again. Then I looked and there was a tomb, but it was empty. Why? Because Jesus rose again for me. And I saw it. I never saw it before. Not like this. That was the Holy Spirit. That was the work of the Holy Spirit coming alongside through a man of God, a, a vessel of God, using the Word of God. You see the three factors. My life has been new ever since. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, talks about this problem of understanding the Word. In verse 11 he says, For what man knows the things of a man, except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us 
by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But look at verse 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, I was reading a little bit about that author I was telling you about that wrote these books that are going to be turned into movies, you know. And one of the statements that he, that he makes is that he just can't believe that, that there is a God and he just doesn't understand anything about the word spiritual or spirituality. Well, duh. If you don't believe in God, you're not going to have any understanding of it. You see now what Paul was saying? The natural man cannot receive and does not receive the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. Listen, it, it isn't enough for a lost sinner to desire salvation. It isn't enough for a lost sinner to desire salvation. He needs also to understand God's plan of salvation. He needs to understand it because the heart that understands the Word of God, that eventually bears fruit. That heart eventually bears fruit. It was Jesus who said that in Matthew 13, where He was giving understanding to the parable of the sower. And he, and he says in verse 23, and the, and, and the soils also, but he says in verse 23, but he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, you see. Receives the word and hears the word and, and understands it. Who needs, who indeed, I should say, bears fruit and produces. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He bears fruit and produces Understanding is so important. You hear the word and you understand. And it doesn't matter how long we've known the Lord. Anytime we come together and we're going to study God's word, that should be our prayer in our hearts. God, give me understanding. Isn't that what I pray every, every week? You must think I have a, it written down. I don't. I just pray that. Lord, give us understanding. Give us wisdom. Through your Holy Spirit. I ask for God to anoint us all. And I, I'm not, I don't like some places in, in, or in some churches, you know, that just say, you know, we're going to be sitting under a, an anointed preacher. You know, and everybody else, what about everybody else? Folks, the Spirit's for all of us here. So we can understand the Word of God. I'm not pushing one person, the anointed person. I need to be anointed along with you. This is a church. This is the body of Christ. I'm not up here looking down at you. I'm here so you can see me and hear me as God's servant. We're all to be anointed of the Spirit of God to understand. Well, let's get back to Philip the hitchhiker. 
So Philip now joins the man in his chariot. And in and, and verse 30, 32, it says, The place in the Scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. That is what the eunuch was reading. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? And then, I love verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. Could there have been a greater text in all the Hebrew scriptures than the one Philip had opened for him? To hear... Isaiah 53. Of course, they didn't have that in, in those days. There was, uh, you know, the, the chapters weren't uh, divided like they are today. But if they had been, he would have said, Isaiah 53. What an opportunity. You see, the passage from Isaiah 53 describes what we call the substitutionary atonement or sacrifice of Jesus the Messiah. The idea of substitutionary sacrifice is one that is found from the beginning of the Bible to the very end. We see it in Genesis when God killed animals to clothe Adam and Eve due to their sin. He provided a ram to die in Isaac's place on Mount Moriah. At Passover, lambs were sacrificed for the Israelites. Their blood applied to the doorposts and lintel of their door. In fact, the entire Jewish religious system was based on the shedding of blood. Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Later on, in Hebrews chapter 9, the apostle uh, gives wisdom and understanding to that in verse 22. And he says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. In other words, there is no forgiveness. There is no deliverance without the shedding of blood. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of both the Old Testament types that are seen through the religious system, or I should say the, the sacrificial system, that Jesus is the fulfillment of both the Old Testament types and the prophecies concerning that substitutionary atonement. To the extent that in John chapter 1, verse 29, when John the Baptist, uh, uh, should, uh, John the Baptist sees Jesus, when he sees Him, what does he say? It says the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God, he calls Him. Why? Because God gave him the understanding and the wisdom to know that this Jesus, his cousin by the way, but this Jesus was the Lamb whose blood would be shed for the sins of men. And we said from Genesis to Revelation, I, I need, we don't have time to go through every book, but let's go to Revelation chapter 5. And even in the end, we see the importance of this sacrifice. In a song that is to be sung and will be sung, as John sees it, it has been sung before him already, but for us it's yet to come. It says in verse 9, And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. You, speaking to Jesus, you were slain. 
and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And if you read all of Revelation chapter 5, you realize you're speaking of the Lamb of God. You see, the text from Isaiah is so significant as it speaks of Messiah as the Lamb before His shearers. Let's turn there, if you will, to Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. The part that was being read by the eunuch and that Philip heard. Isaiah 53, verse 7 and 8 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. This is what was being read. This is what was being heard by Philip. And when you see the, you, you see the, 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 the play of words in that Jesus himself went silently to shed his blood for the sins of men. But when Philip was asked a question, he opened his mouth. You see, Jesus already went to the cross silent. It's time for us to open our mouths. Now, it's quite possible from our reading, verse 34, that the Ethiopian may have asked this question in Jerusalem as well. Is this what his perplexity was all about? That he had gone to Jerusalem and asked people about this particular passage, but they didn't have an answer that was satisfactory? (coughs) He was given insufficient answers? Let's see what some of the answers would have been at that time uh, of of the, uh, the rabbis of that time. Some thought that the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 was the nation of Israel itself. Many still believe that today. Since Israel had suffered greatly in wars and exile and persecution. Others taught that it was Isaiah writing about himself. There were some who thought that. I don't know where they get that, but that's what they thought. And still others considered it to be Messiah. But they found that hard to accept because they didn't want to think of their Messiah suffering. So remember when Jesus comes on the scene, what are they waiting for? They're waiting for a conquering Messiah to deliver them from the Roman oppression. Instead came the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, who that text was all about. It was about Him. But they didn't want to see a suffering servant come for them. So they had to say, you know, that's what it is, but I don't want to believe that. That's when Philip does what, he, what we all ought to do from time to time. He opened his mouth. He opened his mouth. Verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and began, notice, at this scripture, preach Jesus to him. Beginning with this scripture. You know what that tells me? That tells, and it tells us, it tells us that he began there, but he didn't stop there. And he didn't end there. He says, how many more scrolls do you got there, man? Because I'm going to tell you more about Jesus. And I'm going to preach to you, Jesus, because that's who you need to know this is about. Philip preached Jesus. He didn't teach a new form of Judaism. He preached Jesus. He didn't seek to recruit the Ethiopian for some new denomination that he was starting. He preached Jesus. He simply preached Jesus. He didn't even preach water baptism, even though it's coming. He didn't preach it. 
He preached Jesus. And I'm sure that he described how Jesus substituted himself as the sacrifice for sins. And because Jesus was not only the Son of God, but God the Son, he was sinless, and therefore his sacrifice was acceptable to God. That's what he preached. He simply preached Jesus Christ. And because Jesus was also a man, he could take the place of mankind on the cross. That's preaching preaching Jesus. Not preaching Jesus. Preaching Jesus. Sorry. So what took place with this kind of preaching? And who knows how far down the, the road in that desert they went. That doesn't matter, does it? You'll see that in a moment too. But what was the result? What took place? Look at verse 36. Now as they went down the road... They came to some water. Now stop there for a moment. This is great. What did Luke interject earlier on? He sends, he sends Philip. You know, God sends Philip into the, you know, on the road to the, you know, from Jerusalem to, to Gaza. And then he has to say, this is desert. But now, what is told to us here? They're going along the road and the Ethiopian says, hey, here's water. Isn't that a great contrast where we began to where we are doesn't that sound like our lives when we come to the realization that when we are without Christ we are just going through a desert a wilderness experience where nothing can satisfy because there's nothing there to satisfy and all of a sudden the man is able to say out there in the middle of the desert hey here's water and then he says what hinders me from being baptized now, I'm not saying that uh, Philip preached water baptism. He just had to have mentioned something about it. And certainly this man, being a Jewish proselyte, had to have walked by all those mikvah uh, baths over there right at the, uh, by the temple, uh, going into the, into the temple courts, where the men would wash themselves before walking in. And he sees water. And he says, what hinders me from getting to that water and being baptized? And Philip said this, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. Boom, he's gone. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus. And passing through, he preached in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Well, the Word of God, along with the Spirit of God and the man of God, was well evident in the Ethiopian's conversion. What happened that day is what Paul describes in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, when he says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. 
The Ethiopian believed on Jesus Christ and was born again. His conversion experience was so real that he insisted on stopping and being baptized immediately. But Philip was also insistent. He made it clear to the man that he needed to believe the gospel with all his heart and believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ, believing that He is the Son of God sent from the Father to accomplish the salvation of all who will believe with all their hearts. I've got to tell you this. If you have any modern translations, you'll either not have that verse 37 there, or you'll have a marginal note that says it's not found in most manuscripts but I'm going to tell you something it's there and it's there for a reason it's there in the King James and it's there in the New King James as we've seen today it's there to let us know that there's nothing outside of this that isn't true everything about this particular statement is true and is necessary that if we believe with all of our heart and we confess with our mouth what is it that, that Paul wrote a little earlier in Romans 10. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe with our, in our heart that He's risen from the dead, you shall be saved. Saying nothing that is not in the Scripture. It is there in the text. So I'm just, I'm just telling you, that, that, that's important to have there for us to see what took place that day. But Philip went on. He went on to fulfill the great commission of Jesus. Now, I'm pretty sure that Philip wasn't there the day that Jesus was with his apostles, the day that he ascended into heaven. But the story had to come down to him. That what Jesus said before he ascended was this, in Matthew 28, verse 19, he says to his disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So Philip goes... In, you know, in following the command and obedience to the command of Jesus, he goes by the leading of God and he makes a disciple from another nation and then he baptizes him. He's just fulfilling the Great Commission. God has called us to do the same. What an obedient servant Philip was. This passage began with a statement, This is desert. But near to the close we read, here is water. Has not the Lord always proved that He can make streams and rivers in the deserts of our own lives? Is this not what He did when He brought us to faith in Jesus Christ? That all of a sudden we who were so, so dry and so thirsty because of the unsatisfactory way that the world gives us and treats us and, and makes us, that all of a sudden we are being filled with living water through Jesus Christ. That is the love of God. That is the, the promise of God. That He gives us streams in the desert. Rivers of living water in places where they ought not to be. By the way, what happened to Philip? The hitchhiker. Well, we're told he was caught away by the Holy Spirit. Same understanding, same word. When it talks about Jesus coming soon to snatch us away. Same word used, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, when the prophet snatched away Elijah. Same word. But God caught him away 
to minister somewhere else. Specifically, the former Philistine city of Azotus, which is also known as Ashdod. Now, I wonder how long, I, I, I do, I, wonder, I wondered how long it took Philip to figure out where he was. Boom, you know, all of a sudden you're someplace, where am I now? <laughs> this is strange, I was in water a little while ago and now I'm in this foreign place. Kind of takes a minute to kind of get your perspective here. But I mentioned that because I suppose it doesn't matter where we are in the world or how we get there. It doesn't matter. We're just still passing through. No matter where we are, we're still just passing through. And wherever we are, we are to share about Jesus. What does it say about Philip? Yeah, he's just passing through. He preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Well, we'll later find in Acts 21 that Philip in Caesarea will, will, will be the father of four daughters down the road who serve the Lord with a gift of prophecy. The daughters do. And Philip is a great picture of someone who just flows with the Spirit of God in ministry. That's, that's what I want you to take home about Philip today. Is that Philip just flows. He flows with, with the Spirit of God. As the Spirit leads, he goes. He loved to serve tables. He loved the opportunity to preach the gospel, even if he had to hitchhike a little bit. And he would love his godly daughters. He was certainly a man who, who contained heavenly treasures. The Bible says that when we come to Christ, He gives us every blessing that we need. As for the Ethiopian, he went on his way rejoicing that he now was a container of heavenly vessels and heavenly treasures that brought true satisfaction into his life. He went his way rejoicing. Probably thought Philip was just one of those angels comes alongside for a moment and then is gone. But for us to understand something before we leave here today, it would be that true satisfaction only comes through faith in Jesus Christ, who gives us everything that we need for life and godliness who gives us forgiveness of our sins, who gives us a hope for eternal life. And the things that we have in this life, we only have because of His love for us. And may I leave you with the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, when He says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Never separate the kingdom of God from God's righteousness. It's the whole package that satisfies. It changes our life. It makes us whole. The Ethiopian eunuch, though he was not allowed to go in to worship, could now go into the very throne room of God because he knew Jesus Christ. And you can too. You can come to his very throne because of the blood of Jesus. Let's pray.